Good morning, Arizona homeowners. Why don't you come on around with me? Get in the backyard. It is 8 o'clock on Saturday morning. It's an outdoor living hour, and it is the fourth Saturday of the month, which means we have our Amuamua of sustainability and regenerative <laughs> gardening. Mr. Er- Greg Peterson of the Urban Farm, welcome to the program today. Thank you, thank you. I, I love it that you use the word regenerative. I, I'm learning. Hey. I, you speak, I listen, yeah. and learn. Yeah, I, beyond I, sustainability, <laughs> baby. You always always bring a new thought, a, a new challenge, a new way of looking at things when we're looking at our gardening and our growing and our life cycles. And I know you recently, in the last year, went to a no-meat diet. I did. Uh, I did. I have to know, though. Mm-hmm. Did you cheat on Thanksgiving? Did you have just a little turkey? I, I you didn't. You know, on one I, drum. I, I <laughs> didn't cheat on Thanksgiving. I cheated before that. So ah. I, cheat, I cheat a little bit, but not much. You're allowed once a year. There you go. There you go. So, so what, what are we working on in the urban farm today? Wow, wow. Well, we're prepping for w- w- winter, as I stutter a little bit, Uh it's getting a we're little bit cold it's outside. Cold. <laughs> we're pretending it's cold. Exactly. We're pretending it's cold. And, you know, the, my my thought for this morning was preparing your winter garden. And, you know, I had originally thought, well, we'll talk about how to, you know, cover things, which we'll get to that stuff. But really, this is the perfect time of year to plant your garden. You know, our Brassicas, our broccolis, cabbages, cauliflowers, our snow peas, our root crops. These are all things that it's their time to shine. And I don't know if it's just me, uh, but I always have better success when I plant on Thanksgiving weekend. I, you know, I do it. I follow all the steps in September and mm-hmm. I'm getting ready and, you know, it's, it's summer's ending and we're going to get this great fall crop. If I wait till the Thanksgiving weekend, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems like I hardly get any germination or any mm-hmm. success rate or anything that carries through. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because I'm not paying attention yet, mm-hmm. and I've got one failed one, so I'm like, oh, I've really got to pay attention now to make the second <laughs> planting successful, or if it's just the time of year or what. But this well, four day stretch mm-hmm. is always my most successful harvest. Pl- and well, then that's an observation seed. on your part. Keep doing it. <laughs> Keep doing it. Here's the problem we've had the past few years. In fact, I talked to uh, Bob McClendon, uh, McClendon Select here. I talked to him about a year ago, and he had planted out 50,000, uh, they call them plugs. They're about uh, inch-tall plants that start in trays, and of bok choy just a little over a year ago. And it was so warm last fall that they all immediately bolted or went to seed. Yeah, so you know we haven't had a hard freeze the so, past two years. So, so if they all went to seed, does he have like five hundred thousand now for the next uh, Yeah, no, cycle? no, no. Unfortunately, <laughs> they don't mature completely. Ah, yeah, exactly. So I, I suspect he just tilled them in, but that's the problem we're running into these days. Is it's not really cooling off here, and that causes multiple problems. If it doesn't cool off, your fall vegetables that you're having luck at in November are are things that 10 years ago I was planting in September. So fast forward 10 years, it's not getting cold enough in the fall to have our stuff grow effectively. And you know, that's that's a problem. And I don't see it happening this year, but we're going to that cycle's going to come back around. It's been about since that hard freeze and all those pipe bursts, we'd all kind of got thinking we, we'd had about a seven to 10 year stretch of 
non non freeze yep. in the desert. We're that cycle's gonna hit. It's gonna catch us all off guard. Uh, but I, I I don't see it happening this winter. No, it's not gonna happen this winter. <laughs> uh, in fact, the you know. Um, you know the weather weather powers that be say we're going to have one of the warmest winters on record. Um, you know which is which is a problem. It's a problem. It's a problem for setting fruit. A lot of our fruit trees require didn't get cold. any peach last year, and I'm not anticipating it. But we still get the pretty purple blooms. There you go. Well, you should we should get some fruit trees if you have the uh, the correct... north side of the fruit tree. I found a little cluster. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so you should still get some fruit trees on your fruit trees if you've planted them per my directions because there's you know there's a bunch of peach trees out there that are high higher chill and you know they're just not going to produce fruit here but the other big problem that this presents is that in the winter time when we get hard freezes it kills bugs that's my favorite thing yeah exactly <laughs> even it, in the dry desert right from kills- flagstaff to to you know, Yuma, we mm-hmm. still have bugs out here. <laughs> right. Well, but and the cold freezes some of these bugs, and that makes our job as desert growers easier, you know, because it's helping helping do the work for us. Uh, and going forward, you know, like this year, I'm going to have to do a better job of managing for pests in my garden. Now, what do you do for pests? I don't want to get off your talking points. You, we always seem to have so much to talk about that we, <laughs> well, I always we don't get through all way, of our, our bullet points. But are you, do you use neem oils at all? Do you use other, uh, like, a, are, are you a, a praying mantis cultivator that you just turn them loose all over your yard? <laughs> so the, there's a couple things here. The, uh, number one is that we need to build healthy soil. And you've taught, we're going to talk about this here in a few bullets. Uh, but we talked about this before. Creating healthy soil is the single most important thing that you can do for for having a successful garden. And when you have that healthy soil, you have healthy plants. So just like when, you know, Rosie's not feeling good and your plant's not feeling good, if we're not putting good stuff in at that point, you know, we're not going to be as strong to ward off, you know, the pests. So as human beings, that's the case, same as plants. So building healthy soil is really your number one thing. And then building a, a balanced environment around your garden. So I don't use any herbicides, pesticides, any chemical, anything on my yard. I've been that way for 28 years now. And I found that there's a balance that my yard has that most of the time I don't have a bug problem. You know, this year I got hit really hard with uh, the... Uh, Grape skeletonizers, mm. you know, those little bugs, that caterpillars that come along and just annihilate the grapes. And I think that's a, that's a function of it not having cooled off. So that's the big thing that I do is I just I uh, work on healthy soil, make healthy plants. You can use neem oil, which I've used before, uh, when you do have a problem. The thing with bugs, though, is that unless you know what the bug is, you don't know how to treat it because there's hundreds of different bugs out there and you treat them hundreds of different ways. So that's, you know, that's our big challenge. Uh, another thing you can do to help strengthen your plants is do a foliar feeding of kelp and fish emulsion right on right on the plant. So Now I'm familiar with fish emulsion, uh-huh. but what was the other one? Kelp? Kelp, K E L P. Talk me you through know. kelp. That's an uh, that's one I've I've not added to my uh mental inventory mm-hmm. yet of of tools 
Well, kelp is kelp. It's, you know, sea plants, and it collects the nutrients and minerals out of the water. And what they do is they pulverize and liquefy it and, and you know, sell it to us as a, a globby, stinky clump that comes out <laughs> of this jar. And we put an ounce of that in a gallon of water and you just go around and spray it right on your plants. And this is something that's done in the organic industry a lot, where they actually just use what's called a foliar feed. So we're in the urban farm. And if you'd like to join the conversation, it's one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. You can text questions to 411-923, or you can email pictures uh, to info at rosieonthehouse.com if you need a little help with plant or insect identification. Hey, Greg, a question about that organic, mm-hmm. like the kelp and the fish uh-huh. emulsion. So I thought that was a great idea. But my dogs do, too. Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> they like to dig it and roll in it. Oh, and so what do you, yes. What do, you, do you have dogs? I don't have dogs. I'm looking for a golden retriever right now, but uh, I don't currently have dogs. But we have to prep for that. That's in the observation part of building out our gardens. We have to observe for, you know, ultimately that's a pest. You know, what's one big of our... Big hairy pests. <laughs> a big hairy pest, right. They're, they're negatively impacting our garden. Yeah. So that's what I tell people with... You know, if you have something negatively impacting your garden, you have to plan for that. So, uh, you know, keep them away from it. Okay. Well, uh, it drove my dogs crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, and even our organic fertilizers that we get from Hickman's and, you know, Bioflora mm. and that kind of stuff. If you put that on your, on, you know, in the basin around your plants, your, you know, your dig, dogs are going to go dig it up. So See. usually what I do with that is I'll take a sharpshooter shovel. That's the long, skinny shovel. And I'll put a wedge down about six, eight, ten inches. And I'll pour a cup of fertilizer there and then just cover it back up so that I'm basically hiding it from the dogs. Tricky. Yeah. You got to outsmart them. Thanks for the tip. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Got to outsmart them. What's growing at the urban farm? If I I left here right now. Uh And drove about three minutes. Three minutes and I had a little little wicker basket and I was going to go pick some vegetables what Mm -hmm. what could i put together off the urban farm at this moment radishes those are those are quick ones they take about 28 days to grow Uh, our broccoli and cabbage are coming in Uh, if we had brussels sprouts planted they would have brussels sprouts that you could harvest Uh, kales all the greens spinaches those kinds of things Uh, our root crops so carrots beets i mentioned radishes already those are coming in snow peas if you like snow peas, now is the best time of year to plant them, and they grow prolifically all the way through winter. Inter- incidentally, these are all things that grow pretty much nonstop until May. You know, if it gets down to 24 degrees in my yard, it's not going to phase these guys. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah, and then citrus is coming. I had my first. I, I thought about bringing some oranges down this morning, so I tried one. They're not, not quite. quite ready. I'll bring some next we, month. We had our first orange this week. Yeah. Um, and and it and it was a little bit, but you know our uh, our Meyer lemons mm-hmm. are it is exploding. Nice. We we mu- we've got two of them, and there must be fifty on each that are ready for wow. Pumpkin, so how long has it been in the ground? Uh, this is year five. Oh, all right, cool. So we're gonna just starting to produce. We're gonna be squeezing our own, our own. We're, we're gonna our Arnold Palmers this weekend are gonna be from from the, your trees, from the tree. I <laughs> love that, man. I'll tell you what. There's nothing better than growing a meal in your yard. It is something very satisfying about yeah. that. It, it. I don't know if it. I, yes, it does taste better, but m- that mental aspect, just 
pushes it over the top. Mm-hmm. You can't explain it until you, you've experienced it. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Nice job, Gary. Where did you find that song? <laughs> the Muppet Show with John Denver. I was going to say, that's definitely John Denver. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. So we just learned something about Gary. He watches the Muppets. Oh, no. yeah, there you go. The Muppets are hilarious. Are you kidding me? Oh. Well, before we get to protecting our winter mm-hmm. crops, let's back up and talk about the climate zones in Arizona. Oh, yes. Yeah. We've got a lot of different elevation changes, and do we hit all different climate zones on we, the scale? No, we don't. No, 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 no. We, we're, we're in uh, USDA climate zone 6 through 8 here okay. in Arizona. Uh, and really, the easiest thing to do, uh, Arizona Department of uh, Agriculture and Life Sciences, the Cooperative Extension, has a document out there online. Uh, it's document AZ-1673, and I just typed in AZ-1673, Arizona Climate Zones, and this document comes up and talks about the different climates that we have in our strait, all the way from 6, which is a much cooler one, you know, that's up in the Flagstaff area, down to 10, which is here in the desert. And really, you're growing different things in the different areas. So, so those are our different zones. Mm-hmm. Step one would be finding what zone you're in. Look up through you know, any. There, there's a lot of different resources out there that you can look up the history of weather and get an idea for, you know, what's your coldest and warmest temperatures. That'll right. give you an idea of what kind of protection do we need to build. Protecting yep. uh, against a 24 degree is a whole lot different than protecting against 24 inches of snow. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or even you know what we get here. You know, on a really cold year here in Phoenix, the Phoenix metropolitan area. You know, it'll get down to 24, but, you know, it hasn't done that in a few years, as we talked about earlier. So there's, you know, there's really one of the big things that I do at the urban farm is I don't plant things that need to be protected. So I'm only growing things that are growing when they're supposed to be protected. So that's, you know, that's our, um, you know, all the brassicas, everything that we talked about earlier uh, that's available on my planting calendar at plantingcalendar.org. If you just... Uh, go and, uh, you know, follow that planting calendar, you're going to know what to plant for the low desert. And in other areas of the state, you know, other planting here that the cooperative up in up in uh, Prescott and Flagstaff have their own planting mm-hmm. calendar for what to plant when. And really... A the, lot of it goes around greenhouses that high. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that, you know, that's one of the other things I wanted to, you know, kind of touch on. When you do want some protection... Green has a couple of reasons to have a green greenhouse. Hoop house is another thing that uh, you can build, which is just uh, plastic over, you know, PVC. Um, or just, you know, you can put uh, frost cloth over, you know, over your tree, over your gardens like that. So, you know, there's many differences that you The severity of the, you know, the cool that you get. So that's really my first thing is observe. You know, you've heard that from me before. Observe what you have to deal with and then go manage for what you have to deal with. And the, what you have to deal with here in Phoenix is, you know, 32, 33, 34 degrees right now, which for all of the 
cold crops, all of the winter crops, it's just not a problem. And we're at about the 1,800 elevation to 25, depending on what areas and against the mountains you're mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. We get into Tucson, you're a little bit higher elevation. Uh, Tucson's real similar. You know, southern Arizona, pretty much the planting calendar that I put out, uh, I put it out about 15, 18 years ago. It's, it's for the low desert, which is, uh, you know, basically Cave Creek south to you know, essentially the Mexican border. Now there's other thing, places like in Patagonia that it probably wouldn't work. But You're getting back up into the 4,000 elevation exactly. in the mountains on southern Arizona. So right. there's uh, elevation's a big part, but that, again, is going back to your climate zones and finding out where you're at. Right. Establish your plan from there. So we've so got— that's, that's step number one. You know, really observe, find out what your climate zone is, and then— for me, I only plant what is appropriate for my climate zone in the in the season we're talking about. And we have a texter uh, that says they're in Phoenix wanting to know, do tomatoes apply to that? Absolutely, they apply to that. And I usually tell people for tomatoes, the, the window for tomatoes here in the low desert is February to about June. That's when we get our best production. And the earlier that you can get them in, the better they're going to do. You will want to be, if you're starting these tomatoes from seeds, you want to be starting them from seed right now indoors. And I usually put them out about the second week of February uh, for the best success. And if you start tomatoes now, you should have a one-gallon size tomato by then. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you'll have nice-sized tomatoes by then. Uh, All that being said... The last couple of years, if we would have put tomatoes out in December, they would have done just fine. <laughs> Again, because we didn't, you know, we didn't get our cold. Now, how do you start your seeds inside? I have tried those uh, little biscuits. That peat they, pots, yeah. Uh-huh. Peat pots or yeah, cocoa. Do pizza. you have success with those? I, I've not been a fan of them. Well, so starting seeds inside is a bit of a uh, challenge. We'll start with that next segment. Along with our callers who've lined up, want to talk, have questions about your, our climate zone uh, from the USDS. Uh, we've got Pete that wants to talk about oranges. We've got textures that want to talk about oranges. Great Yay. questions. I'll hear it. Rosie on the house. Bring it on. Here's to the farmer that plants the fields in the spring that turn from green to that harvest honey. One up for the banker downtown They got him on his feet with handshake money Here's to the farmer's wife That loves him every night Raising a son, raising a daughter They gather around the table, send it up to the father Somehow they get closer when times get harder With Urban Farm, Greg Peterson, we were going to come back with something. What was that? We talked about so many other things during the break. (laughs) He's just saying, here's to the farmer. I love that. I love that. That's, you know, that's one of the things I've been working on for decades here in town is to making make more farmers because we really need to consider where our food's coming from and grow a lot more local. 
And so that's that's really my mission these days. Well, for the past 20 years has been to create, you know, inspire people to grow their own food. Even if you're just growing your own food on a porch or a balcony or, you know, in a small backyard, grow something. And I tell people this all the time. Grow herbs. They're the most expensive thing to buy and the easiest dang thing to grow. They are so <laughs> simple to grow, most herbs. We so. have a rosemary plant that just... Unending, right? Oh, yeah, I can't kill the thing. Mm-hmm. That that's you need a successful plant. Every gardener needs one that's just, you know, the uh, mints one that will keep coming back. Oh, you gotta yeah. be careful because it'll take over. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but rosemary too. We have it in a whiskey barrel. Yep. Rosemary, oregano, basil, basil, cilantro. Those come back year after year. Parsley is another thing that come reseeds itself year after year. And the the rosemary, the the. Um, Oregano, Basil, oregano. Yeah, those are two things that just they've they've grown for decades at my house. They you know they're they're perennials. So, so what we were talking about was starting seeds. Yes, we were starting starting seeds, starting and, indoor and, seeds. Yeah, and it, it's a bit of a challenge to you know start your seeds indoors. You know, it's ideal to have a little greenhouse. And I'm not, I, I'm not talking about one you can walk into. I'm talking about one that sits on your countertop. So you start the seeds in the greenhouse so that it stays stays nice and humid in there. So that's for the seed starting part. Uh, And then once you have a plant that started up, then it's, you know, a sunny windowsill is going to, you know, get you you going. But it takes experimenting. Um, I tell people all the time that growing food in the desert is one great big grand experiment. You just need to (laughs) you need to keep trying. The other thing I tell people is I've killed more plants than you have, I promise. Been growing food here in the desert since 1974. I know I started when I was two. I started when I was 14, actually. And, you know, that happens. You know, you're going to plant something and it's not going to work. Oh, well, take a deep breath. Try Don't do that again. Do something else. Try something else. And, and you know, look to people that have been doing it for a long time. I've got a lot of data at urbanfarm.org that people can learn from. Plus, we have online classes uh, we've got Elaine Ingham, who is an international soil scientist, on uh, for a webinar here in about two weeks. So you know, watch our channel for all kinds of classes and that kind of stuff. But go to you know, go to classes. There's people teaching classes at farmers markets and and just learn. You have to experiment, jump, and don't be afraid. Because you are. Yeah, you will. Well, <laughs> lot, you know, like you said, you've mowed more plants right, than anyone else. Right. Right. And and you weren't trying to. No. <laughs> No, I'm trying to keep them alive, (laughs) trying to keep them alive. You know, one of my questions in my podcast is, uh, you know, tell us about a time you failed and what you learned from that. And I purposefully ask that of people because I want to know what what their realization is from having done something that some people might consider a failure and how they got through it, you know, how they um, how they moved forward out of it and continued growing food. So. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you if you'd like to talk to Mr. Greg Peterson, the urban farmer, starting with Peter, who wants to know about uh, oranges. Welcome to the broadcast, Peter. Uh, thank you. And uh, what I'm dealing with is a citrus tree that uh, uh, is an orange orange citrus tree that uh, attracts roof rats. And I'd like to know if I can pick the oranges early to get them off the tree and limit the amount of rat problem I have. Uh, will, will those oranges ripen, or is that not a good thing? No, not so much. I usually like to let them at least get completely turned color. 
on the tree. Uh, my question for you is, though, have you actually seen roof rat damage? And are you sure it's roof rat damage and not bird damage? Because they look very In similar. In the past five years, I've probably killed 30 roof, roof rats with an electric rat zapper. Oh, how's that work? Because I just ordered some of those today. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've got a rat problem near the urban farm. They'll work. So, all right. They'll cool. work. Dog, dog, dog nuggets. Uh, you don't have to mess with peanut butter or anything. Just do, dry dog food will attract cool. Cool. You know that that's a that's a really good point about the the roof rats and the pack rats. It's that's once we start growing things in our yard, and this is a re, this is not a reason to not grow food. You should absolutely grow food in your yard, and and then you know we just have to deal with challenges when they show up. Birds are going to show up. You might have rats show up. Rabbits. Um, rabbits. We had okay. Insects. So I lived near 16th Street and. Bethany home at the urban farm. And the other night, Heidi comes into me. She said, oh, my gosh, Greg, look what's on the back patio. A big, fat raccoon was on the back patio. <laughs> this, I, 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 you know, I was like, whoa, right in the middle of Phoenix. So, yeah, My uncle on Mummy Mountain has squared off with a raccoon a couple times in yeah. his backyard. Yeah. They're, they're out there. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and I, I've actually talked, because we've had, we had a bobcat kill near 16th Street in Bethany Home. We had a, a bobcat kill of some of our chickens about a year and a half ago. So I called uh, the Arizona uh, Game and Fish Department mm -hmm. and talked to the urban wildlife guy. And he says, Greg, there's really nothing we can do about urban wildlife. They're here. And with the way they've been managed over the past 20 years, they seem to be growing in numbers. So... You know, we're going to have pack rats. We're going to have raccoons. We're going to have bobcats. We're going to have coyotes. We're going to have pet dogs. That javelina. Mess with, <laughs> with mess, that mess with our stuff. We're going to have javelina. We just, as urban farmers, we have to get to know how we can manage for that. You know, there's javelina all the way up to Flagstaff now. Wow. They've started seeing cases where they're, they've made it all the way up to, to Flagstaff. That mm -hmm. is a very adaptive creature. Oh, yeah. So this is... Um, you have to be careful about what, what you say. Um, <clears throat> yes. You just do a blank. Um, we'll come back to it. How's that sound? An appreciation for archery. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, and having... when we're talking gardening and old world skills, mm -hmm. archery is another one we mm. uh, sh should consider. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I had that thought with a raccoon on our back patio. Raccoons are mean. They are. They're really, you know, they... they're mean creatures. They will take out a, you know, they'll take out your pet. Uh, they will take out your chickens. So, yeah, it's. Uh... Oh, that they're not afraid to come after you either. If they, if you're a threat. Yeah. They're a they're well, a fighting the, animal. <laughs> the second I walked out on the patio with a pitchfork, he was he split. So. Pitchfork. There's another old world. Uh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you got a picture from a gentleman on citrus tree. Yes, it was. that had read the question and we mm -hmm. asked them to send a picture because yeah. they said they have a off-white dried pasty cement looking stuff mm -hmm. at the base of their citrus tree. Mm -hmm. And they want to know our thoughts. And they sent in this uh, picture that exactly described. Exactly. And for Liz... For the viewer, we'll have this posted on our website, but this is a citrus is surrounded by, you know, a granite base. Right. Yeah. So there's a couple things going on here. Let me take a look at the picture. Um, first of all, that's fungi, fungi, 
mushroom of a sorts and doing is it's breaking, you know, it's breaking down organic matter. So having fungus or fungi in your yard is not a bad thing. Fungi is actually doing work and it's a sign of healthy soil. Now this particular kind of fungi, I've seen it around the base of trees before, just like that. And what it's doing is it's feeding on the old wood. So is it a great thing to have around a living fruit tree? Probably not. But the other thing I notice about that picture is that there's gravel around the base of the tree. Which I, which I remember uh-huh. it was one of your ways to kill, kill a fruit a tree. Fruit That's tree. right. I give a, I give a <laughs> webinar at uh, urbanfarm.org, three ways to kill your fruit trees. And I, I know there's another one coming up here in the next couple of weeks. And one of those ways is to put it in a granite surrounding. Exactly. Exactly. So what I would do with this picture... Uh, is I would, oh, you put it away. That's fine. There I, you go. I got it tattooed on my brain. <laughs> uh, what I would do with that is I would rake away the gravel to the uh, drip line. The drip line is if you stood directly over the tree and looked straight down on it, it's where the shadow would land. It's the part you wouldn't see. So out to the edges of the leaves. I would rake back that gravel to the edge of the drip line, and I would put a six to eight inch thick layer of woody mulch. Uh, that is really the solution here, especially here in the lower desert for trees and fruit trees, trees of all kinds. I think we have a shade tree question, too. Um, but that's going to have your trees be a lot more successful because that white fungusy stuff that you're seeing is a function of the tree not doing great. And what you want to do is you want your trees to thrive, and you do that by putting a nice layer of organic mulch all the way around it. Because here's what happens real quickly um, on with the uh, woody mulch. Uh, it creates this insulation layer. It acts like a sponge. It holds the water in. And at the interface between the dirt and the woody mulch, it starts making this absolutely amazing soil that the trees will thrive in down the road. We appreciate the text. And yes, the other... Uh and sending in that picture as a follow-up for a little visual aid. It's a lot of the times uh, pictures say a thousand words, so that can really yeah. help in uh, diagnose, diagnosing the, the situation. Absolutely. We appreciate that. But another individual, hey, I've heard Greg talk about planting fruit trees. Mm -hmm. What about shade trees? Shade I know trees. you're a big proponent of don't you know planting something that you're going to eat, but I've also been to the urban farm and know there's a big pine tree in there as well. Well, it's an an ash tree, not ash a pine tree, tree. Sorry. Yeah, although a pine tree would be nice, I wouldn't mind the uh, the pine needles as well. Um, here's what I tell people about what I do at the urban farm: I plant things that are edible, or they support edibles. Supporting edibles means that they are pollinators, they provide shade, they provide mulch. So basically, all the trees on my yard, actually all the plants in my yard are workers. They're doing something. They're adding something to the to the space. And you absolutely, especially on the northwest corner of your house, of your property, you want to get shade in. Plant shade. Ash trees do really well here. You know, people plant pine trees. It wouldn't be my first choice. There's all of the uh, desert ironwoods. There's Palo Verdes. There's um, Mesquites, all of which, by the way, are edible. Mm -hmm. They put off an edible pod that you can eat. And mesquite flour. Heidi and I actually use mesquite flour in cooking a lot. It's wonderful. In fact, if we're using mesquite flour, we don't have to use sugar because it's so sweet. And when you do that, are you grinding your own or 
is there a place you can go buy uh, ground up mesquite pods? Um, for, for... Yeah, I both. <laughs> okay, both. both. I found that Azure Standard has a uh, nice mesquite flower. Comes from South America though, so I'm really wanting to stay local, know, like you stay said. local and gr- pick our own. So, uh, you know, down in Tucson they have a mesquite bean mill, mm-hmm. and so every year or so I'll collect mesquite beans in May and June, and then go down there for the uh, the milling and actually have my beans milled. Nice. So yeah, enough. And it, what you need. If that's not enough for the full year, you got a substitute then, resource. Yeah, you got a substitute. So you know what would be really cool is to get our own mill up here, and that we're just lacking some infrastructure that uh, that we're working on. If anybody's interested in in uh, you know talking about doing a mill up here, shoot me an email and we can figure it out because it's a community asset that we desperately need. Rocky Raccoon, baby. Rocky had come equipped with a gun to shoot off the legs of his rival. <laughs> That's too funny. Man, you do a rocking job of the music. Thank you. Put some smile on my face. Nicely done. Well, we had some follow-up to the individual that had the fungus on uh-huh. the citrus. Right. And you said, you know, one of the ways to kill your citrus is to put a gravel around it. Well, she followed up and said, well, my husband put the gravel there to keep the cats from using it as their litter box. Mm. And it's not mm-hmm. their cats. It's neighborhood cats. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, obviously uh, back to uh, back to our tree. No, um, <laughs> there is there's a great product. Uh, it's a company out of Vancouver, Contact. And they make deterrent solutions for pests. Uh-huh. They make a mat that uh, you're talking about a golden retriever. If you want yep. it out of your kitchen space, you could put a mat on the entrance to it. And for whatever static that's in it, the dog won't step over it. Really? So you can keep it out of certain areas if you need room for it. Uh, they've got something called Cat Stop, and it keeps cats away. So it's uh, wow. They, they also have this, Greg, you're going to love this. They have a motion-activated sprinkler. So you just hook it up to a hose. It takes a 9-volt battery. And when something uh, walks in front of it, like the raccoon, uh-huh. you think it'd stay away if every time it stepped in this area, the sprinkler goes... Wow. What's the name of this place? Contact. C-O-N hyphen T-E-C-H. Contact. So they've got solutions. And, again, they've got a cat stop. But another thing that if you're... By if you're at a nursery, uh-huh. you know they always have those flats mm-hmm. that you yeah. can put plants in and carry. Amanda found this. Uh, you just take that, you put that upside down on the ground, and the cat can't scratch through it. Mm-hmm. So you need probably a dozen or two to fill up completely underneath this. And uh, that's a temporary tree. solution, it, but right. it creates a permanent solution because once the cat decides Finds another that, spot, find another place, exactly, it'll go back to that spot. So. Yeah. There's a couple options for you there uh, because you, you do have to get that gravel off the citrus. Yeah. Uh, well, and one you of the, really you know, want it to thrive and produce the way you probably have planned for it. Exactly. Well, and, you know, we do have a uh, farm cat at the urban farm right in the middle of the city. We call it, you know, she's a calico kitty. And, and uh, Heidi comes to me last night, literally last night, and she says, oh, my gosh. 
Kalima, that's the farm cat's name, has a rat. And so, you know, there's there's a balancing act that we have to do here. So we have a farm cat in the backyard and she's, you know, hangs out on the back patio and we feed her and she also takes out farm rats, mm-hmm. you know, so. That's why we have a cat at the Whitman plantation. Yep. They don't always last. I mean, you you, you keep it outside and you may mm-hmm. go a couple months and, hey, have you seen the cat? Then all of a sudden, you know, one day it's there and, mm-hmm. you know, they're. They're not like you said. They're a working right. All your plants are working. Our cats exactly. are working animals, and our chickens are working animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, we've got a little bit of time left here. Two minutes. You want to talk about healthy soil? Oh yeah. yeah. So I always like to review this because it's it's uh, the most in thing, the most important thing that you can do in growing a garden is building healthy soil. And building healthy soil is really quite simple. You add organic matter. And for my garden, I add uh, tanks, green stuff, compost. Uh, I've always already also worked with tanks to develop a planting mix that we'll be selling at the nursery when we open up in January. Uh, but adding lots and lots of organic matter. So there's five components of healthy soil. Dirt, which you have plenty of. You don't need to haul in dirt ever. Airspace, water organic matter and everything that's alive in the soil. And my solution to fixing unhealthy soil is to add lots and lots of organic matter, whether you're doing it around trees, which is the woody basins around trees, and the more wood chips, the better. If you put a foot of woody mulch around your trees, it's probably not too much. Don't put it right up against the trunk. Uh, But, you know, having that organic matter do its work around the tree, you know, you're doing great. And then in your gardens, adding compost and, and planting mix in your gardens to to really start maturing the soil. So soil, soil, soil. It yep. all as go the roots, so go the shoots. Yep. And that, that applies not only in the tree world, but your vegetable world, your shrub world. It is as strong as you can make the roots. That's how good your end product, your visual aspect will be. Exactly. Exactly. And the better you make the roots, the better your food's going to be for, for you. You know, we I was in California this past week talking with some friends, and there are some really significant questions around, is our food nutrient-dense enough? Because the soils that have been, um, you know, have been used and used and reused and overused, and are, they're not putting the nutrients back in always. So that's a question we got to ask. And during the week? People can find the urbanfarm.org. Urbanfarm.org at myurbanfarmpodcast.com also. Endless amount of resources there for Huge. anybody looking to kind of just take matters into their own hand and grow, grow your, your own. own, man. Absolutely. Absolutely.